0: Welcome to season number two of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. This is episode number 13 with special guest, Tom Hopkins.
1: From the nation's heartland, this is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa.
0: Hey, welcome to Season 2 of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Raposa. We have had a bit of an unplanned break in the action here, but it is great to be back in the saddle with you. And we start Season 2 with what I think is going to be a very exciting conversation It's with a man who literally, figuratively wrote the Bible of Selling titled How to Master the Art of Selling, along with many other books on sales, Mr. Tom Hopkins.
2: As a salesperson, your primary tool is the opening, in the front of your face, we call a mouth. It must be used with confidence, but it must also be used with intelligence, because it's a sharp-edged tool that can do harm as well as good. That's because our prospects, those good folks out there who want and need and can afford what you're selling, are afraid. They're afraid of you. They're afraid of being sold. They're afraid of the whole process of buying.
0: That's a clip from Tom's audiobook, Mastering the Art of Selling. I have my weathered copy of Tom's book, How to Master the Art of Selling, right here in my hands. It's right in front of me. I'm going to be referring to that as we talk with Tom here in just a little bit. Our Skype connection, uh, that kind of went out the window But we will be joining Tom by phone in just a moment. Our sponsors today very proud to welcome in U.S. Tax Shield. Uh, You know, in that audio clip, Tom was talking about how our mouth can get us into some hot water during a sales conversation. (laughs) Mine has gotten me into trouble in sales and outside of sales conversations. And i tell you, the same can be said if you are invited to have a conversation with somebody from the Internal Revenue Service. Well, today's sponsors, U.S. Tax Shield, they know how to use their mouths to speak to the IRS on your behalf. Give a listen.
1: This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast.
3: If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you protected today. Call now, 800-542-6227. That's 800 542 U.S. Tax Shield eight hundred five four two sixty-two twenty-seven.
1: This is the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa.
0: On the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, it is a real kick for me to be able to talk to some folks that I have uh, really had a great deal of respect for over the years. People that I've learned a lot from from afar, and I got one of those guys on the phone right now. He has trained something like 5 million people in the best way to do sales, 18 books that are published, and what else can I say but the two most important words in sales, Tom Hopkins. Welcome to the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast.
2: My thanks, Jim. Good to be with you and your audience. Thank you.
0: Well, it is a real kick for me to be able to talk to you, Tom, because back when I was cutting my teeth in sales and starting to find you and really looking for answers at how do you and make this whole thing work because we all fall down and scrape our knees when we're getting into this. Uh, the thing that I noticed about you, Tom, is you were not the chuck and jive type salesman, if you know what I mean. Uh, and and right. you, you were the kind of guy that you were just having a conversation. It was not Anything that was forceful, it was not sign here, press hard, cheap carbon, you were actually having a conversation. How did you develop this brilliant idea that, hey, we're just going to have a conversation, I'm not going to try and strong arm somebody, but my job is to sell you. How did you put those puzzle pieces together for yourself?
2: Well, I think the reason, Jim, in my eight years in selling real estate homes and property, I think the reason my last four years, I never really had the prospect for new business was because I think the way you treat people will create a desire for them to help you and send referrals to you. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a philosophy that if you really will have people like you and trust you and want to listen to you and really give great service and follow up and keep in touch, that people will not do business with you once, but for a lifetime. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of my goal with every client that I that I met. And I didn't think I had to be high pressure, although, of course, I believe if you ask the right questions, you're going to be applying a degree of pressure for them to say yes, and of course, go ahead and make a commitment to make the investment. But I've always felt uh, I wanted a friendship more than I did a sale, and if I came across that way, it developed that way. It, there's a very fine art uh, to, I think, being a, a soft-spoken, gentle person, but yet also closing a lot of transactions. And it's a fine balance, but that's kind of what I always worked for.
0: So when you were selling real estate, this is something that's been banging around in my head. I, not that I've lost sleep over this, time, believe me, but... <laughs> is, it tr- is it true that you actually went out selling originally in your high school band uniform because you didn't have any other suit?
2: Well, in fact, what happened was I was a construction worker carrying steel as an iron worker uh, from age 17 to 18. And when I got into, uh, at 18, my dad said, son, you can get a real estate license in California. Why don't you get a license? So, of course, I went and failed my real estate exam three times and huh. finally got a license. And then the challenge was, I, I was, again, uh, just a teenager. And back in, in those days, there were very few teenagers that were even accepted into real estate. And so I started going to offices. And of course, every broker would say, you know, you're too young. And of course, I didn't have a car. I was on a motorcycle. And, you know, I'd drive into the office of my motorcycle and meet the broker and say, I'd love to, you know, go into real estate. I got my license. And, how old are you? Well, I'm 18. And they'd go, well, you're just too young. I said, well, I'm almost 19. Oh, that's still too young. <laughs> and so so no one would hire me. And finally, one man, one broker said, you know, Tom, you got a nice, nice personality. I'll tell you what I'll do. You show up for our Monday morning meeting that we have at 8 o'clock. And, of course, we have a dress code. You, you'll have to wear a suit. And uh, but I'll give you a chance. Well, of course, I didn't say anything, but I didn't own a suit. I mean, you know, coming out of high school as a construction worker, wouldn't I ever wear a suit? But when I was 16, I played in a band and I was a drummer. And we saw the Beatles when they first came to the United States in these wild outfits. So uh, we had some band uniforms made. It was a bright silver, had a purple velvet collar. <laughs> and it's the only only thing I had to wear, Jim. So I showed up Monday morning, drove my motorcycle to the back of the office, walked in. And I'll never forget the broker was standing in front of 12 salespeople at the meeting. And he stopped when he saw me walk in. And he said, all you guys, listen up. This is our newest sales associate. And this kid riding a motorcycle at 18 in that outfit can make a living. I expect all of you to get rich. And, 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 and that's that's how I started many, many years ago.
0: So from that point to when you actually bought your first real business suit, how much time had elapsed before you, you figured, oh, this isn't the suit they were talking about?
2: Yeah, it was about three or four months. And I finally, uh, I finally made a sale and got a little money and I got a dress shirt. I couldn't afford a whole suit but I got a white shirt and a tie, which was acceptable. And so that's kind of how I got started in selling real estate.
0: There's a guy that was a big part of your sales life. And as I look over on the shelf over here, I have back to the future in sales on cassette, uh, J. Douglas Edwards.
2: Yes. In fact, um, when I was 20, the company I worked for in California, they hired Mr. Edwards to come and teach us and, I was like a sponge trying to find how to make a living. And of course, I walked in and sat down and Mr. Edwards came out and he started teaching the art of closing the sale. And I had never been taught, even though I would had people give me ideas, no one had said how you sit people down, how you ask them questions, how you handle objections, how you get the check and close the sale. I'd never heard this. So, like a sponge, I listened to him, and back then we didn't have cassettes, we only had records, Mm -hmm. and these are big black things, most of the young folks listening won't know what that is, but (laughs) um, he he had a record called uh, The 13 Basic Closes. And I bought that record and wore it out, memorizing the closing strategies. And of course, all of a sudden, I started making money. And here's the thing that's amazing. Fate is such a funny thing, Jim. I'm sure you'll agree. But I became his favorite student. And I went probably, I'd fly every six months wherever he was teaching. And I memorized all the closes and became the top real estate agent in California. And at age 27, I thought, okay, this is eight years in real estate timeframe. For me to do something else, I want to start teaching others and write a book and blah blah blah. So you know, there's an old biblical saying that a prophet is <laughs> never honored in his own town. So I thought, you know, I'm going to move from California, and a man offered me a chance to buy a real estate school here in Phoenix. And so I moved, left my whole real estate career, moved here, and I had no idea where I was going to live. But uh, a broker showed me some properties, and my wife and I found a home. We bought it. And we're moving in, you know, a month later, unloading the furniture with the movers where it's going to be put. And suddenly I hear a voice behind me, is Tom Hopkins here? And, of course, I turned, and they're standing in my garage is J. Douglas Edwards. Hmm. I said, Mr. Edwards, I-, I know I sent you a notice that I was moving to Phoenix. I-, I didn't know where you lived. He says, well, Tom, I thought I should come over and welcome my new next-door neighbor to the area. Wow. With ever, not knowing out of 4 million people. In Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. I had no idea where he lived, and Jim, I ended up buying a home next door to my mentor. Mm. He looked up to me, and he was the man that literally taught me not only the art of teaching and speaking, but how to really conduct the seminar business. So, It's amazing how you're blessed if your attitude is right and things happen and doors open when your attitude is right.
0: I'd like to play for the audience just a little clip of J. Douglas Edwards' in action off of that box set, Back to the Future in Sales. Do you mind, Tom?
3: No, please. Oh, great. First of all, let me define for you what a closing question is. A closing question is any question you ask The answer to which confirms the fact that he's bought. That is a closing question. Now, let me give you the critical instruction. And please get this down. Whenever you ask a closing question, whenever you ask a closing question, SHUT UP! The first man that talks
1: loses.
2: You know, Jim, the the fact of the matter is, all people in our business of seminars, speaking, motivations, we develop what we call signatures. And I have a certain couple signature stories that audiences say, Tom, you have to tell that story. I brought eight of my salespeople. Please let them hear it. Well, Mr. Edwards had a signature, and what he would do is he would say, I'm now going to give you the most critically important instruction I'll ever give you in closing. And if you haven't taken a note, write this down and never indelibly inscribe it in your mind. I mean, that's the way he would come across with this thing. Then he'd lower his voice and he'd say, whenever you ask the final closing question, and we're all writing heads down, 3,000 in the audience, head down, whenever you ask the final closing question, he'd repeat it. Whenever you ask the final closing question. Then he would scream Jim to the top of his lungs the shut up. He blew out many mics. (laughs) (laughs) No no kidding. But all of us would just jump because of the scream, but it indelibly stuck in our minds that when you do ask that final closing question and making a sale, you gotta be quiet and let those folks take a moment or two, sit there in silence. I've sat three or four minutes, which seems like an eternity. And, of course, the longer the silence, we've proven this. Statistically, the better the odds they will eventually pick up that pen, approve the paperwork, and go ahead and make the purchase.
0: So he really impressed upon you not just the basics, but strategies that you could take with you for the rest of your life in sales and really not just earn an income, but create uh, a fortune.
2: Oh, definitely. And, you know, when he died, I, I went to his uh, state and I said, I can't let his wonderful teaching die. So I, in, in essence, purchased all the rights to his records and then, of course, cassettes and all that. And that's why that one program you're talking about, Back to the Future in Sales, I literally took his records and uh, put them onto that CD with me kind of intermingling between the, the his closes. Hmm. But no, he, he uh, was an artist at teaching, and there were two extremes back in those days, and that's something I wanted to share with you as I was making notes before our call. There was two extremes in, in training salespeople. There was a Larry Wilson, a Wilson Institute in Minnesota, and then there was J. Douglas Edwards. And Larry Wilson was a gentle, soft-spoken love the people into owning your product, have a love relationship, just give, give, give. And of course, I love that. Mm -hmm. Then Doug Edwards would come out and he'd say, now, if you don't get the check, you're not worth anything in the field of sales. So you close it and get that money. (laughs) So here, here, Jim, I'm taking the soft and love and the strength and closing. And I combined the two. And I think that's kind of how I developed the approach that you started with in our conversation.
0: I think it works because uh, some years ago, I tried my hand at real estate sales. And Floyd Wickman comes to mind as one of the guys that everybody was supposed to listen to. You certainly. And there are any number of, of names and voices that pop into my head. But you just had this approach that It just kind of melted through everything. It wasn't like a buzzsaw. It was just, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to see how we can come up with a mutually agreeable solution. You pay me and we get it done. Very (laughs) simple.
2: Well, and you know, I have one book called Low Profile Selling, which is act like a lamb and sell like a lion. Mm. And that is the basic concept of you are lamb-like, gentle. Nice. And of course, you do have the art of closing the sale, which again is the uh, closed like a lion, but it's just such an art form. And I think, you know, it's so wonderful to be able to teach it and to live my life. You know, almost every week, Jim, I'm in some city or country teaching these wonderful, primarily commission earning salespeople, Mm -hmm. which they're so fundamentally important to our country of free enterprise and capitalism. Because if you look at our country, most companies wouldn't make a profit if they didn't have someone doing something called selling.
0: We're chatting with Tom Hopkins, the master of selling, a man who wrote the book, How to Master the Art of Selling, uh, including 17 other titles. Tom, I'm kind of curious because you've seen an awful lot in your life with regard to sales. Has the introduction of the internet into the sales path, has that helped or has that made a lot of salespeople lazy beyond belief?
2: Well, first of all, I believe, Jim, today's selling and salespeople have to be more professional, more uh, better at selling and closing the sale than they had to be in the past. Because the average consumer in our country has access to so much knowledge because of the internet that if they walk in to look at an automobile or a piece of real estate, a home or a computer system or anything, they have done so much research that they are as knowledgeable as the salesperson. So the Internet has done one thing, made the consumer more knowledgeable, which I think has forced salespeople to get better and more professional than they have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are doing it are still making an awful lot of money in this beautiful art called selling. I,
0: I must tell you that one of the great pieces of advice that I was ever given in sales was to collect objections. And I know you've got a book out called When Buyers Say No. And it seems like even in How to Master the Art of Selling that you really go through a litany of objections, how to handle it. And again, you're doing it in that conversational style. Objections really do throw a lot of salespeople. Is it just because they're on a they're they're not prepared properly?
2: Well, definitely. They haven't really mastered what to say to all the objections. And there's really only ten or twelve that a buyer can give you. And so if you're a pro, like any great actor or actress, you will learn your lines on what to say when they say their lines. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when they say it costs too much. Well, the pro has mastered 12 words that they just deliver nicely to find out how much too much it is. Now I can handle the money objection. Or if the buyer says, you know, Tom, we're going to take some time and think this over. Well, the pro has mastered 73 words that they deliver nicely and they turn They want to think it over to another concrete objection and they overcome that and they close the sale. So, again, it really is strategic. It's something that can be learned. I've had so many people over the years say, well, Tom, uh, can't you, or, or don't you have to be a natural born salesperson? I always say, no, you have to be a trained, learned, skilled artist in what to say and do in front of the consumer which is what selling is really all about.
0: That kind of dovetails or really leads nicely in, into this question, Tom, that so many people just sneer at sales as a profession. Somehow it's yeah, not legit, a, you know?
2: Well, and it's such a shame because if the average American, and I'll just say average American and counting everybody, if they really understood what selling was all about, the importance of making profits for companies, so the companies paid more taxes to create this country, if they understood the importance of getting consumers to spend money, and they'd know the importance of a salesperson. Now, the challenge we'll always have is there are people that go into sales just to make money. They don't care that much about people. And many of them are what we call con men as far as what they're doing. That's the sad part of selling. There are people that aren't selling for the right reasons. They aren't trying to build a long-term relationship with people. They're trying to just make money, Mm -hmm. which that's fine. Making money, wealth, and abundance is beautiful in this country. But I think if you really give service to your clients, They'll want to do business and you aren't becoming pushy and obnoxious like too many people that do go into sales become.
0: How often do you travel now these days?
2: Oh, almost every week. Uh, I just finished a tour in China and I just got back from India and I'm leaving in about another two weeks for Australia. And what's funny right now, Jim, in our country is as far as live seminars, because of not only the internet, But because of all these webinars that are being produced around the country, the get in the car, drive to a hotel, go and sit in a room and listen to a speaker, that's really almost becoming outdated. Right, yeah. But what's happened to me is we're getting more international requests than we are here in our country, which of course, you know, that's a a challenge. The 15 to 18 hour flights is not exciting, but you know, if you, you got to go, and of course, I don't want to retire because I love what I do so much. And I figure, you know, a lot of people go, Tom, you don't need to work. Why do you do it? I go, because I love what I do. And of course, I think, People that love what they do don't want to retire. So as long as people come and want to hear my message, I'm going to get on a plane probably every week and fly somewhere to teach.
0: <laughs> but when you're going to all corners of the world, Tom, I got to imagine that you have, no matter what part of the world it is, you're facing the same kind of objections, or or you're hearing the same kind of objections from salespeople. And even from some newbies who are out there, they may have the same reasons why they're doubting themselves. The message is universal, isn't it?
2: Yes. You know, selling is a universal language. I'm so glad you used that word. But I will say this, Jim, when I go to a country... I will meet with either one of my representatives who's putting on the seminar, bringing me in, or I'll ask him to get two or three of the highest income earning salespeople, both with a tangible product like real estate and maybe an intangible product like insurance. And I go to dinner and just pick their brains so that when I deliver the next day, I'm not coming across like an American coming to China to teach you Chinese what to do. Mm. I try to blend in as an American hoping that I can help you increase your income by using some of the American strategies that we have. And, And that, I think, is one reason why in other countries they keep calling us back because I don't come in as someone... Trying to overbear, you know, overbearing with them, but someone trying to help them have a better life.
0: I know that we're getting pressed on time because we got uh, started a little bit late, thanks to the wonderful technology called Skype. But (laughs) I, uh, I wanted to ask you now because you have one of the slickest, and I mean that in in the nicest way possible, not in anything, not in a derogatory way at all. When you're looking for referrals, especially if it was somebody who you were so close to closing the deal with and they bailed on you and they went with a competitor, and the way you just say, well, you know, I sure hope you'll keep me in mind in the future. And then you you suggest sending them a thank you card with a whole bunch of business cards in there. And then you keep up with that person, kind of a drip campaign. What are some of the great methods that you've discovered to really get referral business? I think so many, when I deal with clients, so many people just don't ask for referrals. It blows my mind.
2: Well, first of all, I I believe that you have to set the stage for that. And what I used to do if I met a client... I would say, well, you know, I want to do the best I can to serve you folks. And the company, of course, wants us to do our best so that if we do a great job, we earn the right to ask if you can maybe refer us to some other folks. So if I do the job, will that be okay? Well, now I've right in the beginning, Jim, prepared them that if I do the job, I'm going to ask them for a minimum of three other folks that I might serve. And I got so many referrals because of preparing them for it. And then, of course, I also became a follow-up nut. I would send Christmas cards. I think everybody needs to send Thanksgiving letters. Uh, I used to get the birth dates of not only the husband and wife, But if they had three kids, I'd get the birth dates of all three children. And those three kids would get a small little gift on their birthday. Mm. And when you do that to the children of a client, they will stay loyal to you forever. So, again, I believe follow-up, follow-up, follow-up till they buy or die is so critical in this wonderful field of sales.
0: I'm guessing that because that's not the sexy part You know, the sexiest part of sales is collecting the check, getting your commission out of it, whatever. It can be tedious to some people, and they think they can overlook that.
2: Yeah, well, I'm a fanatic on paying fast attention to details. And I think the most successful people in sales and sales management... They take care of the little things so there won't be any big challenges in the future.
0: Well, Tom, I know we're coming up to the end. I want to respect your time as best as possible given the circumstances today. Is there a 19th book in the works, or do you think you've said everything that you care to say about sales and print?
2: Well, the challenge I have is uh, when Ben Cott, my co-author of When Buyers Say No, approached me, I didn't think I was going to write another book, but his circle of persuasion closing the sale was so powerful. You know, I said, Ben, I want to write half of this book with you. But I would say this, I don't think I'm going to write another book. Uh, I always say that, Jim, and all of a sudden an idea hits me or I have a person come up and say, look, I'd love to co-author a book with you. And I hear it, read it and I go, this is good. Let's do it. And I'm so thankful, too. I've got Judy Slack, who's been with me. In fact, my average uh, associate in Tom Hopkins International has been with me 35 years. Mm. So we've all grown up together, old together, and uh, so forth. But I don't know, Jim, if I'm going to write another book. It's not in the offing right now. But it's sure been a wonderful life. Teaching these fabulous people called salespeople. I'll tell you.
0: I have an idea for a book. I think, uh, How to Sell Ice to Eskimos. I think that would go phenomenally (laughs) well because talk about moving the impossible.
2: Well, and you know, the truth of the matter is the title of a book and the color and the face and all the stuff you put in the book that's what gets it to come off the shelf. And one of the keys to getting a good selling book is it's got to start selling. And I don't tell the story very often, Jim, but when my first book, How to Master the Art of Selling, came out in the late 70s or mid-70s, um, my mom, God bless her, I didn't even know it, she got in her little car and she drove the whole state of California to every bookstore and she would order How to Master the Art of Selling so that they'd have that dang book. And that's how the momentum of the first book got started as it <laughs> started towards being an, on the New York best selling list is that a right?
0: No, that's a mother who loved her son.
2: Oh, fabulous woman. God bless her. She's with the Lord now, but oh, was she fabulous.
0: That is a wonderful story. Hey, Tom, I, I hope that we can talk again in the near future uh, and, and just kind of keep the ball rolling. There's so much I'd love to ask you about that and, and uh, maybe get a little clarification direct from your your lips to my ears and everybody else's ears.
2: Jim, I would love that. I would love to have you and I have uh, either a semi-annual or annual salesperson day that you, you know, you promote that, hey, we're going to have an hour with Tom, get your questions ready, send them into me, and we're going to just, he'll answer any question on the field of sales, any objection, and I think we could make it a wonderful once a year program on sales, and I'd love to do it. You and I, sir, I think really relate real well here, and I'm glad, I'm so glad that My book was a part of your growth as well.
0: It really was. And your teachings uh, on tape, you know, anybody that remembers cassettes, for crying out loud. (laughs) uh, And certainly now with CDs. No, I mean, you you just, the fog was lifted when I started to listen to Tom Hopkins. And I tell folks that, and they say, really? And (laughs) I, I, all I can ever say to somebody is, just read the guy's stuff. Listen to his material. I mean, the fog just disappears when you got the right teacher in front of you. And you have to be ready to to accept it, too. But uh, it has been a pleasure, Tom, and I'm going to take you up on that offer. I'm going to hold you to that. We will do kind of a sales day seminar kind of thing in an expanded episode of the Street Savvy Marketer sometime.
2: You know what? I'm going to let Judy know that we mentioned that, and she'll keep in touch with you. And let's do it. Let's get all the salespeople in your on the phone with
0: us. You got it, pal. Thank you so much.
2: All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast.
3: If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world. And they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you protected today. Call now. 800-542-6227. That's 800 542 Sixty-two twenty-seven. U.S. Tax Shield. Eight hundred five four two sixty-two twenty-seven.
2: Hi, this is Tom Hopkins, and you're listening to the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast with Jim Raposa.
3: <laughs> How
0: about that? He's not only the sales master, but the master of ceremonies. Tom Hopkins. Hey, on our next episode, Paula Williams of Aviation Business Consultants will be stopping by and we're going to discuss marketing and sales strategies that she and her husband, John, have developed with their clients. But don't worry, you don't have to be in the aviation industry to catch a good idea you can adapt for your business. Paula is one of the best out there. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So join me and guest Paula Williams on the next Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. My thanks again to Tom Hopkins for his time today. And by the way, if you have a marketing or sales question or if there is a guest that you would like to hear, maybe you'd like to nominate yourself as a guest on the Street Savvy Marketer, all you have to do is click the contact tab at Street streetsavvymarketerpodcast.com or you can email me, Jim Raposa, at raposa media that's r-a-p-o-s-a media at confidesk.com that's c-o-n-f-i-d-e-s-k.com i'm jim raposa until we meet again so long
1: you've been listening to the street savvy marketer podcast for more on this and previous episodes go to streetsavvymarketer.com tell a friend about us thanks for listening
0: a presentation of raposa media